Our Old Testament reading this evening will be the will be 12 verses, uh, the entire Psalm 84. The psalmist writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, our God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me now as we pray for our offering. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the sun shining. Lord, for this beautiful place you've put us. Lord, I pray that we would be men and women, sons and daughters, who give freely as we have been given freely to. May we rest and dwell in your house, Lord, all the days of our life. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, If you would like to follow along in your uh, Bible as well, please turn over to the book of Colossians. Uh, It's hard to believe I was thinking about this. Uh, It has been two weeks from now. We'll mark... One week from now, wait, my math's really bad. A week and a half from now will mark a week, uh, or a year, excuse me, since I've moved to Zurich. And I was thinking about the things we've, we've gone through in the evening service in that time. We went through First and Second Timothy, if you remember. We went through, uh, leading up to Advent, all these great Old Testament reasons of why we need Jesus to come. Uh, in the winter, we went through all these minor characters in the Old and New Testament. Uh, And now we've we've gone through Colossians verse by verse. And tonight will be our last night in the book of Colossians. Uh, Starting next week, uh, it's going to be really fun. We are going to go through the book of Joshua for about 10 to 12 weeks. Uh, We're not going to go verse by verse because that would take a year and a half. But we are going to go through and talk about major themes in the book of Joshua. Themes of leadership, themes of following God, and themes of uh, things that are important today. Um, which we'll get to. Uh, But for tonight, we're going to finish up uh, with Colossians. And so um, I would invite you to look at me, to look at Colossians 4 with me. Again, it's it's very warm. My brain has been frying these last couple of days. Anyone who knows me knows I'm more of a winter person. And Friday, something broke inside of me. I just got so warm. (laughs) I, I was riding my bike and I got to the office and I just plunged my head and arms under the sink and ended up teaching Friday night's confirmation class without shoes on. My jeans rolled up. I looked like a homeless person. So forgive me. 
Colossians 4, we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read through to the end. Uh, Starting in verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, Tychicus will, will tell you all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. These are the only ones of the circumcision among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is, also, he is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf, so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Damas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea, to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus that you complete the task, see to it that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This too is the word of the Lord. So, here we have Paul sort of wrapping up his letter. And to be very frank, it's sort of difficult to teach on the first or the majority of what we read. We, we basically just have a very common, very communal communication. He's saying with these friends and colleagues, as we talked about in Colossians, he's never visited. And so he's just sort of saying, hey, if these people come to you, welcome them. They're friends. You know some of them. They're, he's, they're one of you. They come from Colossae. And it's clear that Paul had a very loving relationship with this church, even though he had never met him. You know, we know that, uh, that Tychicus, or Tychicus, uh, the first one he mentions, uh, mentions him in Acts chapter 20, that he also delivered a letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, it's clear that all of these first century apostles were working together to try and spread the gospel and care and love for one another. Uh, in fact, if you read through the book of Acts, there's a, there is also a time when because there's such persecution in Jerusalem and Judea of Christians that Paul and some of these other leaders collect an offering to send back to help those who are being persecuted by the Jews. It's very clear that Paul has an active, loving relationship with them. And in verses 10 through 15, we see that he gets sort of personal. You know, and I love reading these letters because even though it's not these great spiritual truths, he's not telling us how to avoid sin, we see this and we see that Paul was sort of a normal person. You know, at least me studying scripture and reading these things, sometimes I think of Paul as this, you know, higher up kind of mega preacher who no one could ever really question. And and I read this and I realize that he had relationships just like me, that he had relationships and friends just like I have, and that these are people Paul knows and he cares about. And he says, it's for these people and for you, the church in Colossae, that I'm laboring as a servant. As we know, Paul is in chains when he's writing this. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, for stirring up riots. He's been beaten, thrown out of towns, 
even thrown out of synagogues, which as a Jew would probably be the most difficult. These are his people. These are the people who are supposed to welcome him. These are the people who are supposed to hear him. Imagine going to where you come from and being thrown out. And so we've talked about this before in Colossians, but it's a great image of the new affiliation we have in Christ. That even if we go back to where we come from, even if we go to where our passport country is or our hometown and they throw us out, we realize that our allegiance is to Christ and his church, not to where we come from. And that these are his brothers and sisters now. These men and women who are toiling, who are laboring, who are trying so hard in the first century to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is his new life and his new affiliation. And he goes on in verses 16, 17, and 18 to say, hey, the church nearby in Laodicea, I gave them a letter too. So make sure you read that and, and, and switch them so that you can hear all the things I'm saying. You know, it's, we talked about this, but in Laodicea was a pretty important church. It's one of the seven churches mentioned in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. And what's so fascinating to me is that Paul meant for this information to be shared for the body of Christ, for the communal growth of the Christians. Now, I don't know if you know how rare this is in today's world, uh, or you may not think about it, but pastors and, and people who've worked in churches who have volunteered know there's this weird competitiveness among churches. There's this really odd sort of, I, I don't want to lose my people to them, or we need to make sure we have people here. We need to make sure we're doing things to meet people's needs. And this attitude, unfortunately, has sort of gone away. I confess I'm guilty of it. Even recently, the state church here in Switzerland uh, has decided that in, um, in the fall they're going to do one or two sort of liturgical services on a Sunday night in English. And I was a little annoyed. They were very nice. They wrote me an email saying, hey, we'd love to invite you to talk to you about your ministry with the expat community and, and learn more about what you're doing. And I remember thinking, they're going to take our people. It's not fair. They have these big, beautiful churches. Like if you have a service in the Grossmünster or a service across the street in the Methodist church, it's kind of not really a competition, is it? I mean, I might not show up. I might go over to Zwingli's church to worship. And I'm sitting on the train this week thinking about this and sort of writing this sermon, and I just started laughing. I just started laughing because I thought it's just such a silly thought. The Apostle Paul said, hey, share these letters. Share these truths. Reach out to each other. Make sure you guys are connected. You know, and today, and I was thinking, of course, where I come from in the U.S., if this happened in the U.S., one of these churches, instead of sharing the letter, would say what? They'd probably have a big special ceremony. Right? They'd have a big special event and they'd say, everyone come to us to hear this great letter from the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, no. No, you guys need to share it. And they'll send you a letter and we'll work together and we'll figure this out together. We need to do this stuff together to encourage and lift each other up. And, and one of the things that sticks out to me about this as I read the end of Colossians is that Paul is so passionate about the church supporting each other and staying connected to each other. He traveled around the, the ancient world, making sure people were on the same page. And if there was a heresy, he would write letters, and he would say, no, don't listen to these people. Don't worry about that. You know, there's a section in Scripture where he says, some of you say you're of Apollo, some of you say you're of Paul, some of you say you're of the teacher Cephas. And he says, no, we are all of Jesus Christ. 
One of the things that's always mentioned about the early church in the first century is their unity and their fellowship. The desire for Christ to be glorified above all other things at all costs, which we see so clearly in Scripture. And now it wasn't perfect. I'm not one of these people that thinks we should get rid of church buildings and all go back to the home church. I think a lot of the progress we've made is very good. But we need to constantly be wondering, how can we do this better? How can we connect more? How can we help each other more? Rather than just getting to a point where we're comfortable here on Sunday nights or Sunday mornings and and church has become something that's just how we want it so that we can go and we can give our money and and it just becomes this very comfortable, safe thing. This is why we're going to try this whole fellowship down by the lake thing. If someone comes up and asks, hey, why are you guys all together? What is this group? We're the International Protestant Church of Zurich. Would you ever like to come join us? We can invite friends, we can invite co-workers, we can invite people, our neighbors, and say, hey, come for a picnic. Come and meet some of the people that I consider my brothers and my sisters here in Zurich. Why? Because Paul says in many places that we should be sharing life together. This is what we've been talking about throughout Colossians. That because Christ is the head of the church, that we all are sort of under his rule and his umbrella, so to speak. If we go back through a little review of the book of Colossians in chapter 1, he starts, if you remember, by saying, I am so grateful for you. He says to the church, I'm so grateful and I'm praying for you so much. Because of the supremacy found in Christ, we are all under Christ. And then in chapter 2, he says that he is contending for the Colossian church and the Laodicean church. He says, I haven't been there, but I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up. You know, if you go back to chapter 2, if you still have your Bibles open, what he says, I love. He says in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you, and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom all hidden are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. And I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here's this servant, here's this great apostle, this great teacher sitting in prison, and he says, I'm rejoicing that you guys are on the same page. What a great lesson for us as we think of the church. We may only be one small body of believers. We may only be one small group. Only able to be one place at any given time. But Paul says, if we are aware, if we're praying, if we're connected and united, we are united in the very Spirit of God. And there should be no competition, but there should be support and partnership. And Paul says it's for this reason we grow together. It's for this reason we can overcome the hardships of this life and find freedom. When we are united, when we're together, when we bear one another's burdens. And I must tell you, this week has been especially emotional for me. I had a great opportunity to meet with some leaders of the persecuted church this week. And I want to show you a map that I didn't realize. This sort of looks like a weather map, right? And it's kind of of really hot in the middle, the red. 
This is actually a map, and, and you can look at this after the service if you like. This is a map of the places in the world where it's not safe to be a Christian. The red is, is countries where it's so unsafe that many Christians lose their lives on a regular basis. This is astounding to me. One person said, and I don't mean to belittle what happened in the 20th century, but one person said what the Jews went through in the 20th century, the Christians are going through in the 21st century. And we don't realize this. We don't realize that in, in places around the world, it's not just that Christians can't worship, it's that they're being actively persecuted, beaten, killed. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking what is happening around the world is not just bad, but it's something that should affect us the way it affected Paul. It's something that we should not only be praying about, but that we should be, as Paul was saying, I am struggling for these people. He was struggling for the church in the first century. And brothers and sisters, as a church, we need to connect. We need to be on the same page. We need to be united under the banner of Christ. Now, in the U.S., and I don't know if it's a, um, a phrase around the world, but we have a phrase called navel-gazing, where you walk around and it looks like you're looking at your own belly button because you don't want to face what's happening around you. Um, and today, maybe it's just cell phone-gazing and you're walking around like this. I think as a church, we've done this for a really long time, and I know I'm guilty of it. I think as a church... We don't necessarily want to look at all that stuff sometimes or want to worry about what the rest of the church around the world is going through because it's kind of a drag and it's kind of a bummer. But even just, I was so convicted this week thinking, how often do I even pray for the worldwide church? I'm so wrapped up in what I'm doing. Five minutes a day would be real easy and it would change my heart and it would unify us together that much more. See, there's a reason we do these things. There's a reason we stay united and lift each other up in prayer. It's so that we know we aren't alone in this world. You know, the Apostle Paul, uh, he was a prolific writer, but he also said this regarding unity. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in the mortal flesh. So death may be at work in us, but life in you. The Apostle Paul cared so much about the church, he was willing to go to jail and he was willing to sit and write these letters from prison that they would be united, that they would pray for each other, that they would care for one another. And so he says, yeah, share those letters. He says, yeah, have, them read, have, have each other read those things. And he goes on in chapter 3 in Colossians to say, and when you do these things and when you lift each other up, you become new people, you become new believers he says, Christ fills you from the inside so that you're able to put on the new self, the person God has made you to be. And then in chapter 4, he goes on to say, and share it with everyone you see. Share it with the outsiders. If you look back at verse 6 from a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Doug was teaching, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. 
Let your speech always be gracious. And then he ends his letter in verse 18. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Have grace. Be men and women who are gracious and loving and kind and share grace with all you come in contact with. And even those who you don't come in contact with, lift them up to God that they would see and know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I like to think that I can be exempt from some of these things. Or I like to put it off and say, oh, I'm just too busy. Well, I just have too much going on. I want to read one more thing. And just hear this. This is the Apostle Paul again. And he says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. When I think about this, I think, you know, sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I don't want to really be unified. Sometimes I really don't want to look up these things that kind of bum me out. But then I think, how much grace have I been given? Over and over. And anyone who knows me knows that the Lord has given me very, very, very excessive amounts of grace in my life. And then I look at the grace God has given my family, and I see the excessive amount of grace God has given my family, and I look at my friends in the same and the same, and I think the amount of grace I've seen in my life would take me 10 lifetimes to share with this world. What is stopping me? That same grace we show others is the grace Christ gave us. Last week I talked about failures and I had a first Kings and talking about Elijah and talked about the evil of this world and the bad things and I don't want you to think that you have to solve problems. That's God's job. Our job is to be a lamp on a stand or a city on a hill to share the good news that we've been given, the grace we have been given. When Paul says... Remember my chains, grace be with you. He's encouraging these people to go and be people who are as gracious as they have been, or as Christ has been to them. This is why we're going to go have church on the lakeside. This is why I would encourage you to do something hard, do something dangerous, invite someone to church. Begin praying for your enemies. Begin praying for that person you really can't stand. Begin praying for the church around the world. Begin praying for countries where it's, over, where it's very clear there's persecution or places where it's very subtle. And in the next 10, 20, 30 years, it could get a lot worse. Pray for anyone who's persecuted that they would know Christ. You know, in, in the eastern part of India right now, it doesn't matter if, if you're a Christian, if, if you're a Buddhist, if, if you're an Is- or a Muslim, everyone's being persecuted unless they're Hindus. They don't want anyone there right now. If you read, and you never read about it. You always hear about Donald Trump and, and, and how xenophobic the U.S. is getting. In, in India, the main heads of state have said outright they don't want anyone in their country who's not Hindu. One of the government leaders in parliament said that anyone who's not a Hindu should be castrated. It's not just Christians who are being persecuted. It is just evil in this world. And we are called to be unified together. Paul says, remember my chains. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to remember your chains or the lack of chains in your life. 
that you are free. You are free to be gracious and loving to your brothers and sisters. You are free to give grace to all and that there is much left, much left for us to give. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, thank you for the grace and the freedom you've given me. Lord, we have done nothing to deserve freedom of worship tonight, yet you give it to us. Lord, here and now we think of those who are persecuted, who are hiding, who are languishing in jail, who are in physical pain and physical need. Lord, we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would give them peace here and now. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters to you around this world, knowing that one day we will be with you in paradise, Lord, but until that day, show us what we can do to do more. Surround the brothers and sisters with people who are gracious and loving, with people who can finance and support as well as those who can serve and be the hands and feet. Lord, thank you. May we be men and women who take the grace given to us and share it with this world. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this evening will be the, will be the 12 verses, uh, the entire Psalm 84. The psalmist writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, our God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me now as we pray for our offering. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the sun shining. Lord, for this beautiful place you've put us. Lord, I pray that we would be men and women, sons and daughters, who give freely as we have been given freely to. May we rest and dwell in your house, Lord, all the days of our life. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, if you would like to follow along in your uh, Bible as well, please turn over to the book of Colossians. 
Uh, it's hard to believe I was thinking about this. Uh, it has been two weeks from now. We'll mark one week from now. Wait, my math's really bad. A week and a half from now. We'll mark a week uh, or a year, excuse me, since I've moved to Zurich. And I was thinking about the things we've, we've gone through in the evening service in that time. We went through First and Second Timothy, if you remember. We went through, uh, leading up to Advent, all these great Old Testament reasons of why we need Jesus to come. Uh, in the winter, we went through all these minor characters in the Old and New Testament. Uh, and now we've, we've gone through Colossians verse by verse. And tonight will be our last night in the book of Colossians. Uh, starting next week, uh, we, it's going to be really fun. We are going to go through the book of Joshua for about 10 to 12 weeks. Uh, we're not going to go verse by verse because that would take a year and a half. But we are going to go through and talk about major themes in the book of Joshua, themes of leadership, themes of following God, and themes of uh, things that are important today, um, which we'll get to. Uh, but for tonight, we're going to finish up uh, with Colossians. And so um, I would invite you to look at me, to look at Colossians 4 with me. Again, it's, it's very warm. My brain has been frying these last couple of days. Anyone who knows me knows I'm more of a winter person. And Friday, something broke inside of me. I just got so warm. <laughs> I, I was riding my bike and I got to the office and I just plunged my head and arms under the sink and ended up teaching Friday night's confirmation class without shoes on. My jeans rolled up. I looked like a homeless person. So forgive me. Colossians 4, we're going to start um, in verse 7 and we're going to read through to the end. Uh, starting in verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, Tychicus will, will tell you all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. These are the only ones of the circumcision among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is, also, he is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf, so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Damas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea, to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, that you complete the task, see to it that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This too is the word of the Lord. So, here we have Paul sort of wrapping up his letter. And to be very frank, it's sort of difficult to teach on the first, or the majority of what we read. We, we basically just have a very common, very communal communication. He's saying with these friends and colleagues, as we talked about in Colossians, he's never visited. And so he's just sort of saying, hey, if these people come to you, welcome them. They're friends. You know some of them. They're, he's, they're one of you. They come from Colossae. And it's clear that Paul 
had a very loving relationship with this church, even though he had never met him. You know, we know that uh, the Tychicus or Tychicus, uh, the first one he mentions, uh, mentions him in Acts chapter 20, that he also delivered a letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, it's clear that all of these first century apostles were working together to try and spread the gospel and care and love for one another. Uh, in fact, if you read through the book of Acts, there's a, there is also a time when because there's such persecution in Jerusalem and Judea of Christians that Paul and some of these other leaders collect an offering to send back to help those who are being persecuted by the Jews. It's very clear that Paul has an active, loving relationship with them. And in verses 10 through 15, we see that he gets sort of personal. You know, and I love reading these letters because even though it's not these great spiritual truths, he's not telling us how to avoid sin, we see this and we see that Paul was sort of a normal person. You know, at least me studying scripture and, and reading these things, sometimes I think of Paul as this, you know, higher up kind of mega preacher who no one could ever really question. And, and I read this and I realize that he had relationships just like me, that he had relationships and friends just like I have, and that these are people Paul knows and he cares about. And he says, it's for these people and for you, the church in Colossae, that I'm laboring as a servant. As we know, Paul is in chains when he's writing this. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, for stirring up riots. He's been beaten, thrown out of towns, even thrown out of synagogues, which as a Jew would probably be the most difficult. These are his people. These are the people who are supposed to welcome him. These are the people who are supposed to hear him. Imagine going to where you come from and being thrown out. And so we've talked about this before in Colossians, but it's a great image of the new affiliation we have in Christ. That even if we go back to where we come from, even if we go to where our passport country is or our hometown and they throw us out, we realize that our allegiance is to Christ and his church, not to where we come from. And that these are his brothers and sisters now. These men and women who are toiling, who are laboring, who are trying so hard in the first century to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is his new life and his new affiliation. And he goes on in verses 16, 17, and 18 to say, hey, the church nearby in Laodicea, I gave them a letter too. So make sure you read that and, and, and switch them so that you can hear all the things I'm saying. You know, it's, we talked about this, but in Laodicea it was a pretty important church. It's one of the seven churches mentioned in the first couple of chapters of Revelations. And what's so fascinating to me is that Paul meant for this information to be shared for the body of Christ, for the communal growth of the Christians. Now, I don't know if you know how rare this is in today's world, uh, or you may not think about it, but pastors and, and people who've worked in churches who have volunteered know there's this weird competitiveness among churches. There's this really odd sort of, I, I don't want to lose my people to them, or we need to make sure we have people here, we need to make sure we're doing things to meet people's needs. And this attitude, unfortunately, has sort of gone away. I confess I'm guilty of it, even recently, the state church here in Switzerland uh, has decided that in, um, in the fall they're going to do one or two sort of liturgical services on a Sunday night in English. And I was a little annoyed. They were very nice. They wrote me an email saying, hey, we'd love to invite you to talk to you about your ministry with the expat community and, and learn more about what you're doing. And I remember thinking, they're going to take our people. It's not fair. They have these big, beautiful churches. Like, if you have a service in the Grossmünster or a service across the street in the Methodist church, it's 
kind of not really a competition, is it? I mean, I might not show up. I might go over to Zwingli's church to worship. And I'm sitting on the train this week thinking about this and sort of writing this sermon, and I just started laughing. I just started laughing because I thought it's just such a silly thought. The Apostle Paul said, hey, share these letters. Share these truths. Reach out to each other. Make sure you guys are connected. You know, and today, and I was thinking, of course, where I come from in the U.S., if this happened in the U.S., one of these churches, instead of sharing the letter, would say what? They'd probably have a big special ceremony, right? They'd have a big special event, and they'd say, everyone come to us to hear this great letter from the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, no. No, you guys need to share it. And they'll send you a letter, and we'll work together, and we'll figure this out together. We need to do this stuff together to encourage and lift each other up. And and one of the things that sticks out to me about this as I read the end of Colossians is that Paul is so passionate about the church supporting each other and staying connected to each other. He traveled around the, the ancient world making sure people were on the same page. And if there was a heresy, he would write letters and he would say, no, don't listen to these people. Don't worry about that. You know, there's a section in Scripture where he says, some of you say you're of Apollo, some of you say you're of Paul, some of you say you're of the teacher Cephas, and he says, no, we are all of Jesus Christ. One of the things that's always mentioned about the early church in the first century is their unity and their fellowship, their desire for Christ to be glorified above all other things at all costs, which we see so clearly in Scripture. And now it wasn't perfect. I'm not one of these people that thinks we should get rid of church buildings and all go back to the home church. I think a lot of the progress we've made is very good. But we need to constantly be wondering, how can we do this better? How can we connect more? How can we help each other more? Rather than just getting to a point where we're comfortable here on Sunday nights or Sunday mornings and and church has become something that's just how we want it so that we can go and we can give our money and and it just becomes this very comfortable, safe thing. This is why we're going to try this whole fellowship down by the lake thing. If someone comes up and asks, hey, why are you guys all together? What is this group? We're the International Protestant Church of Zurich. Would you ever like to come join us? We can invite friends, we can invite co-workers, we can invite people, our neighbors, and say, hey, come for a picnic. Come and meet some of the people that I consider my brothers and my sisters here in Zurich. Why? Because Paul says in many places that we should be sharing life together. This is what we've been talking about throughout Colossians. That because Christ is the head of the church, that we all are sort of under his rule and his umbrella, so to speak. If we go back through a little review of the book of Colossians in chapter 1, he starts, if you remember, by saying, I am so grateful for you. He says to the church, I'm so grateful and I've been praying for you so much. Because of the supremacy found in Christ, we are all under Christ. And then in chapter 2, he says that he is contending for the Colossian church and the Laodicean church. He says, I haven't been there, but I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up. You know, if you go back to chapter 2, if you still have your Bibles open, what he says, I love. He says in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. And for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love, 
so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom all hidden are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. And I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here's this servant, here's this great apostle, this great teacher sitting in prison, and he says, I'm rejoicing that you guys are on the same page. What a great lesson for us as we think of the church. We may only be one small body of believers. We may only be one small group. Only able to be one place at any given time. But Paul says, if we are aware, if we're praying, if we're connected and united, we are united in the very Spirit of God. And there should be no competition, but there should be support and partnership. And Paul says, it's for this reason we grow together. It's for this reason we can overcome the hardships of this life and find freedom. When we are united, when we're together, when we bear one another's burdens. And I must tell you, this week has been especially emotional for me. I had a great opportunity to meet with some leaders of the persecuted church this week. And I want to show you a map that I didn't realize. It, this sort of looks like a weather map, right? And it's, it's kind of really hot in the middle, the red. This is actually a map, and, and you can look at this after the service if you like. This is a map of the places in the world where it's not safe to be a Christian. The red is, is countries where it's so unsafe that many Christians lose their lives on a regular basis. This is astounding to me. One person said, and I don't mean to belittle what happened in the 20th century, but one person said what the Jews went through in the 20th century, the Christians are going through in the 21st century. And we don't realize this. We don't realize that in, in places around the world, it's not just that Christians can't worship, it's that they're being actively persecuted, beaten, killed. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking what is happening around the world is not just bad, but it's something that should affect us the way it affected Paul. It's something that we should not only be praying about, but that we should be, as Paul was saying, I am struggling for these people. He was struggling for the church in the first century. And brothers and sisters, as a church, we need to connect. We need to be on the same page. We need to be united under the banner of Christ. Now, in the U.S., and I don't know if it's a, um, a phrase around the world, but we have a phrase called navel-gazing, where you walk around and it looks like you're looking at your own belly button because you don't want to face what's happening around you. Um, and today, maybe it's just cell phone-gazing and you're walking around like this. I think as a church, we've done this for a really long time, and I know I'm guilty of it. I think as a church... We don't necessarily want to look at all that stuff sometimes or want to worry about what the rest of the church around the world is going through because it's kind of a drag and it's kind of a bummer. But even just, I was so convicted this week thinking, how often do I even pray for the worldwide church? I'm so wrapped up in what I'm doing. Five minutes a day would be real easy and it would change my heart and it would unify us together that much more. See, there's a reason we do these things. There's a reason we stay united and lift each other up in prayer. It's so that we know we aren't alone in this world. You know, the Apostle Paul, uh, he was a prolific writer, but he also said this regarding unity. 
We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in the mortal flesh. So death may be at work in us, but life in you. The Apostle Paul cared so much about the church, he was willing to go to jail and he was willing to sit and write these letters from prison that they would be united that they would pray for each other, they would care for one another. And so he says, yeah, share those letters. He says, yeah, have, them read, have, have each other read those things. And he goes on in chapter 3 in Colossians to say, and when you do these things and when you lift each other up, you become new people, you become new believers. He says Christ fills you from the inside so that you're able to put on the new self, the person God has made you to be. And then in chapter 4 he goes on, to say, and share it with everyone you see. Share it with the outsiders. If you look back at verse 6 from a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Doug was teaching, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Let your speech always be gracious. And then he ends his letter in verse 18, remember my chains, grace be with you. Have grace. Be men and women who are gracious and loving and kind and share grace with all you come in contact with. And even those who you don't come in contact with, lift them up to God that they would see and know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I like to think that I can be exempt from some of these things. Or I like to put it off and say, oh, I'm just too busy. Well, I just have too much going on. I want to read one more thing and just hear this. This is the Apostle Paul again. And he says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. When I think about this, I think, you know, sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I don't want to really be unified. Sometimes I really don't want to look up these things that kind of bum me out. But then I think, how much grace have I been given? Over and over. And anyone who knows me knows that the Lord has given me very, very, very excessive amounts of grace in my life. And then I look at the grace God has given my family and I see the excessive amount of grace God has given my family and I look at my friends and the same and the same and I think the amount of grace I've seen in my life would take me 10 lifetimes to share with this world. What is stopping me? That same grace we show others is the grace Christ gave us. Last week I talked about failures and I had a first Kings and talking about Elijah and talked about the evil of this world and the bad things. And I don't want you to think that you have to solve problems. That's God's job. Our job is to be a lamp on a stand or a city on a hill. To share the good news that we've been given, the grace we have been given. When Paul says, 
Remember my chains, grace be with you. He's encouraging these people to go and be people who are as gracious as they have been, or as Christ has been to them. This is why we're going to go have church on the lakeside. This is why I would encourage you to do something hard, do something dangerous, invite someone to church. Begin praying for your enemies. Begin praying for that person you really can't stand. Begin praying for the church around the world. Begin praying for countries where it's, over, where it's very clear there's persecution or places where it's very subtle. And in the next 10, 20, 30 years, it could get a lot worse. Pray for anyone who's persecuted, that they would know Christ. You know, in, in, in the eastern part of India right now, it doesn't matter if, if you're a Christian, if, if you're a Buddhist, if, if you're an is, or a Muslim, everyone's being persecuted unless they're Hindus. They don't want anyone there right now. If you read, and you never read about it. You always hear about Donald Trump and, and, and how xenophobic the U.S. is getting. In, in India, the main heads of state have said outright they don't want anyone in their country who's not Hindu. One of the government leaders in parliament said that anyone who's not a Hindu should be castrated. It's not just Christians who are being persecuted. It is just evil in this world. And we are called to be unified together. Paul says, remember my chains. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to remember your chains or the lack of chains in your life. That you are free. You are free to be gracious and loving to your brothers and sisters. You are free to give grace to all. And that there is much left, much left for us to give. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, thank you for the grace and the freedom you've given me. Lord, we have done nothing to deserve freedom of worship tonight, yet you give it to us. Lord, here and now we think of those who are persecuted, who are hiding, who are languishing in jail, who are in physical pain and physical need. Lord, we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would give them peace here and now. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters to you around this world, knowing that one day we will be with you in paradise, Lord, but until that day, show us what we can do to do more. Surround the brothers and sisters with people who are gracious and loving. With people who can finance and support as well as those who can serve and be the hands and feet. Lord, thank you. May we be men and women who take the grace given to us and share it with this world. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen.